Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is someone very special, someone that's been in the industry for, I believe, about 40 years. Owen Hegarty. Um, he's executive chairman of EMR Capital, or a specialist resources private equity company with over 300 years combined mining operational and investment experience. They own and operate nine mining operations and projects in seven countries globally across four core commodities with a proven track record in three dimension critical to achieving superior investment returns. So. I want to obviously welcome Owen, who can tell us a little bit about, more about his uh, his his career, um, and then we can go and speak about EMR. So, I'd like to welcome Owen. How you doing, Owen? Uh, good, oh, thanks, Rob, and, and delighted to be on the show. Mate. Yes, thank you very much for uh, you know thinking of me. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, agreeing to uh, agreeing to do this. Um, before we go into a little bit about your your background, um, obviously I'm here in Melbourne, um, and I'm at the IMARC conference. Um, first of all, just wanted wanted to uh, get your thoughts around the uh, IMARC conference and what what your thoughts are. So it's on the last day today. Um, how how would you say the last two days have been? Look, terrific, really. I mean, IMARC is uh, International Mining and Resources Conference. Uh, it was started here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, six or seven years ago or thereabouts. It's got bigger every year. Uh, we took the attitude that there is a place and a space for a uh, another international mining conference, if you like, that caters for all needs, a bit for everyone, uh, not only for the mining companies and the, and the technical and other service companies that, that are around the world, but also for governments, uh, for bureaucrats, for other stakeholders in the industry. So a bit something for everybody, uh, and it's actually grown every year. So we're very pleased with the uh, with the result to get it here today. The last few days have been terrific. I mean, there's some amazing exhibitions down there, Rob, some really, really good uh, speakers and some wonderful companies doing wonderful work. And by the way, some of the technology improvements, some of the, some of the uh, technical improvements that are going on, whether it's automation, whether it's AI, uh, in energy efficiency and various other things. Some of the work is just amazing that's going on around yeah. the world at the moment uh, and it was all on show here uh, at IMARC. So I have to say it has been a great success. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. And obviously I've been there for the last two days and certainly learned a lot and um, yeah, and the people that I've spoken to have certainly enjoyed it. It seems it, it gets better year upon year um, and so may it continue. Um, just want to, so first of all, I want to get a little bit understand about your background. Um, I know you were with Rio for, for a number of years. So I just wanted the audience to know a little bit about your background. So when you um, graduated all those years ago um, yeah. and how your actual career developed. 
Yeah, no worries. Well, look, thanks, uh, thanks for that, Rob. Look, um, I mean, I've been in the mining uh, industry all of my working life, which now, as you say, north of uh, 40 years, if you like. I joined uh, Rio Tinto for, straight from university. Uh, and very lucky, by the way, when, when I left university, as you say, several hundred years ago type <laughs> of thing, um, all of the big companies, you know, they were all out there screaming for graduates. So I was very lucky, really could have had a job in any of those, um, any of those bigger groups uh, in a way. Uh, but joined Rio Tinto, that growth orientation, a good uh, rigour and disciplined approach to things, you know, boys and toys and trucks and, and growth and offshore, that type of thing. So uh, that's the, one of the reasons that I joined Rio. And I spent 25 years with Rio Tinto. So wonderful people. Uh, I was really, again, very, very lucky, actually, to be involved in all commodities, all companies, uh, and pretty much all countries inside the Rio Tinto group. So terrific background. Yeah. Uh, you know, worked my way up from sort of junior analyst to, to CEO of a number of their businesses over a period of time. Uh, and then, and, and just a wonderful people, wonderful company. Then left there uh, after 24, 25 years, and I went from the big end of town to the small end of town, uh, and we started a company called Oxiana. We eventually called it the Mighty Ox, uh, and we grew the Mighty Ox from a few million dollars to a few billion dollars, uh, one of those overnight successes that took 15 years or, or thereabouts. Um, but we had some really good projects here in Australia, Asia and the Pacific, and, and we ended up being a multi-billion dollar uh, explorer, developer, operator, base and precious metals, Australia, Asia, Pacific. So, And we converted that company, or we merged that company with another one uh, to form Oz Minerals. Okay, so that's another fifth, that was 15 years, and I left there, again, all by design at that time, uh, and then did a number of things, but the, the main one of which has been working with Jason Chang, Tony Manini, and the rest of the team who we work with at the Ox, uh, to be in EMR Capital. And, and EMR Capital, as you described, is a, is a private equity uh, group. We invest in uh, in operations that are looking for improvements. We invest in projects that are looking to be developed. Uh, we have eight or nine worldwide uh, projects, and, and we're, our favourite commodities are copper and gold and, and coking coal and potash. And, and we've got, you know, about $5 billion or something like that of, of value under management uh, at this time. So yeah. a bit of a short uh, potted uh, career history there, if you like. One or two other things, I was vice chairman of Fortescue uh, Metals there and, and as a non-executive role there with FMG as we grew that business from, again, a few few million to a few billion, if you like. Uh, and and uh, yes, one or two other bits and pieces of things that sort of government advisory roles from time to time and that type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Rob, but but uh, right now my main uh, job is here at the mighty EMR Capital as yeah. the executive chairman. Yeah. Before we go on to speak about EMR, um, obviously you explained, you told the audience a little bit about your background from going from Rio to Oksana. How was that from going from a big big corporate company mm. like Rio mm. to then go and form your own company. How was that transition? 
period? Well, it's actually, uh, as I say, from the big end to the small end, yeah. uh, from, from going from a, a company where, you know, you're only a very small fish in a very large pond in a way, uh, and of course you've got so many other people involved there, so much support and capability around you uh, and finance and so on and so forth. So going into the smaller end where you're really uh, looking to grow a business, get hold of a project, multiple projects, get new people, get new investors. I mean, that, yeah. that's really the, uh, the very hard part part about it is raising the capital as a very small, still still a very small fish, but in a very small yeah. pond. Uh, and and you basically, the usual story, you have to do everything for yourself, you know, it, it's entirely dependent upon you. Yeah. And your life is dependent upon doing that every day, day after day, time after time yeah. type of thing. So you have to actually do it. So the, the onus is very much on you and the and the, and the group of people that you have around you. So that, that certainly encourages not only to keep the work going, but it encourages you to actually work very, very closely as a team. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that um, we did do in Rio Tinto. We worked, worked as teams and that's a, it's a one, of the, one of the elements of the Rio Tinto culture uh, is teamwork and we're able to apply that teamwork uh, because our lives depended upon it uh, in the ox as, as we grew the ox up. Yeah. But, but one of the reasons, Rob, I should say, uh, for the, the, the growth of EMR or the formation of EMR was because in that, in that small end of town, in that public equity markets area, uh, it isn't that simple raising capital. You know, you can have the best project and you can have the best people in the world, but if the market is closed, you're out of business, you know. So therefore, one of the advantages, if you like, of EMR Capital or the private equity model is you actually raise the money first. So you get the commitments from your investors first, and then you actually have a pool of capital to be able to deploy. So that mm. really is the fundamental difference between the private equity side yeah. and the public equity model. And as I was saying a bit earlier, going from the from the big end to the small end. Mm. What challenges did you face then from going where everything is done, not done for you, but you've got the systems processes to then doing everything yourself? Mm. What challenges did you specifically well, that's right. I mean, the challenges that you face are, 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 are looking to bring people with you, whether they be investors or employees or service providers, other companies. In other words, suddenly as a, as a small fish in a small pond, uh, then, you know, the risks are somewhat higher. Yeah. You know, so how do you get downside protection, whether you're a buyer or a seller or a stakeholder or an investor or an employee uh, inside a uh, new oxiana here, new ox, then how do you get comfortable uh, that this guy uh, and the very small band of people that he's got with him are actually going to be able to perform? So yeah. that was you spend a lot of your life, uh, you know, persuading people to come with you. You spend a lot of your life telling people about your assets. You, you spend a lot of your life, you know, raising money to keep doing those things uh, as well as continuing to do your day job. So as I say, it's a, uh, it's a hard road, but it's a very satisfying road. And particularly if you've got the... If you yourself are confident that you've got the background and experience that you can do it, and if you yourself are confident within the team that you have, uh, then you'll be able to get on and do it. I mean, the, the, the key lessons are choose your people well, choose your commodities well, choose your projects uh, well, choose your investors well, and then get on with it like your life absolutely depends on it. Focus on those things that you can achieve and then get on and perform. Yeah. Was that always your career plan to work as it, as it 
obviously materialised at working for like Rio, then having your own company and then going into like a private equity. Was that always your goal or your plan to do that? Or well, did it sort of just snowball and you ended up moving into investments? Well, look, I can't say that it was the, the plan at the very beginning, I suppose, but certainly I saw enough in the in the mining uh, industry working with Rio. I could see what was clearly happening in Asia. I was lucky enough to work in that part of the world. I saw the growth happening there. Uh, you know, you can, you can actually see it almost on a daily basis. You can, you can watch it grow. I mean, these economies were going from subsistence economies to bicycle economies to, to motor scooter economies to Datsun 120B economies to Mercedes economies, you know, yeah. over, over the decades. You know, you're actually living that experience in a way. It was just, just amazing. So I, I thought that this is where, you know, and, and the metals and the commodity demand that was coming from that terrific growth was just just amazing really so I thought that you know if I was actually ever going to start a business it was going to be in mining it was going to be in Asia and it was going to be in copper and gold type of thing so yeah. that's that's where we start so I saw an opportunity to do that so uh, that really developed that um, developed that uh, idea that concept that longer term vision and suite of objectives type of thing whilst I was with Rio and then set about going to, going to do it yeah before we talk about uh, EMR were you nervous at any time working for, like I said, working for Rio and then stepping out and work, starting your own business? Uh, definitely. Well, nervous individually, but yeah. also, you know, my, my dependents, my family, my family and friends sort of relying on you. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got to be able, you've got to think about all of that, of course, because you are jumping out of the big end into the... Uh, into the smaller end of town uh, type of thing. So yes, you're concerned about that and the risks associated uh, with it and, and so on. So so there was a certain amount of nervousness and pre pretty scary in, in some respects. Um, and, and it proved to be some. It proved actually to be very successful over a period of time. Mm -hmm. But it's not without the, you know, the usual 99% hard work type of thing. Yeah. Uh, as somebody said to us once, it's uh, being at the junior end of the mining business, uh, it's a bit like being the uh, long distance uh, airline pilot you know or, or the opposite of that as they say the long distance airline pilot it's uh, it's 99% boredom and 1% stark terror yeah. well in the case of the junior in the mining business it's 99% stark terror and it's never boring yeah and was there any times where you thought have I made the right move would you say look in a way, good question, but you're testing yourself all the time in yeah. a way, you know. So be, because you're absolutely focused, as I say, your life depends upon it and those of all the people who've come with you. So, you know, you, you, you're actually passionate to perform, to, to all the things that you said you're going to do. Um, but And therefore, under those circumstances, you're testing yourself all the time. Are we are we doing the right thing? Are we making the right decision? Have we got the right people? We've got the right projects? We've got the right commodity? And so on and so forth. So there's a sort of an ongoing, ongoing going test work going on there yeah and I think sometimes if you grow as a person um, it is going outside your comfort zone um, and I think if you go outside your comfort zone you will grow as, as an individual as well and again I suppose that scenario suggests that as well yourself where moving well, out so. of Rio and doing your doing your own thing and putting yourself out there yeah. and make it, and obviously making it had to make it happen 
because obviously a lot of people are relying on you. So well, that's right. I mean, once once you actually put your foot forward and say this is what we're going to do, yeah, uh, and you've got people relying on you to do that, then that that weight of responsibility is on you. Yeah, you know, so you have to perform uh, at that level at that time. You yeah. Know? So and again, I was lucky enough to have a good grounding from my uh, my parents who were able to you know work very hard all their lives actually to uh, you know provide education and, and you know reasonable quality uh, of upbringing for their four boys you know and I was I was lucky enough to be one of those boys so they were always uh, encouraging us not only for education but encouraging us to get work uh, and so on and so forth so I felt very lucky there so a very sort of stable background from that perspective yeah. so uh, yes so were, were any of them involved in mining and none of them were involved in mining in a direct way per yeah. se so yes I was the, I was the first miner Okay, want to move on and obviously talk about um, EMR. So, just wondered if you can uh, just give us a, an overview of e- EMR Capital, what what you're what you're about, how again, I suppose how you started the organisation and, and where you are today. Yes. Okay. Well, EMR Capital is again we're private equity group. Uh, we have three funds: fund one, fund two, fund three, uh, and overall, and we're, we're continuing to, to raise uh, F three. Overall, we've got about five billion US dollars of total pool of capital and value uh, under management. I suppose it really grew out, as we were saying a bit earlier, it grew out of the uh, the need to actually have the capital up front in a way, rather than uh, get the project and the, and the people first. Yeah. Uh, so have the capital and then. You're able to deploy that uh, those commitments uh, type of thing. So that that's probably uh, the first thing. I mean, we did see it was between myself and Jason Chang and Tony Manini uh, and some of the other group. We saw good opportunities to be able to uh, acquire assets, acquire projects, acquire operations, and under the cover of, in a way, a pool of capital and under the cover of uh, non non public companies. Uh, be able to grow your business uh, type of thing. So that was the way in which uh, we perceived it. We put it together, well, we started thinking about it actually whilst we were working with Ox in a way. So it was going to be life after Ox for Tony, uh, life after uh, for, for Ox for me. Uh, Jason was working with KPMG, but we had a lot to do with him in, inside the Ox. So we sort of started thinking about it uh, before the uh, before the um, merger of the ox, if you like, with um, uh, to form Oz Minerals uh, type of thing. So yeah, we've been we've been skimming it up for a while, uh, and then we started it in about 2012 or thereabouts. So first one was 2013, second fund was 2015-16, third fund sort of 2019. So that that's the way in which it's all. Uh, progressed. We decided that we wanted to focus, again, the word focus, the, the, the five-letter F word there, uh, comes into play quite a lot here because we want to focus on uh, improving operations and improving things. Uh, we needed to be in control given that we've gone to a lot of trouble to actually put together very good, capable and experienced people. You really, to be able to apply that technology and that technical capability and that experience, to be able to provide it effectively, then you really need to be in a control position. So you might, you've got to be on the field or in the coach's box. You don't want to be in the audience, right? You don't want to be back in the bleachers somewhere trying to shout to people on the field. You've actually got to be out there. Yeah. So you really need to be in control. So that's a unique feature, we think, of, of EMR Capital, uh, sort of the control position. Focus on 
uh, focus on four core commodities. So, you know, whilst we know all commodities, we've been involved with lots and lots and lots of them. Uh, we are focused on copper and gold in the base and precious metals. Uh, and in the bulk commodities, it's high quality hard coking coal uh, and potash. So there, that's in the bulk commodities. Uh, and in the base and precious metals, it's uh, copper and gold. So focus on those. I mean, for the reasons, Rob, that, that you will know, and that is, you know, they're very good demand profiles for those commodities yeah. going forward, challenges to supply, um, they're, they're, they're big, deep, liquid markets. You know, you can get in, you can get out. You don't have to be Rio Tinto, you don't have to be Rizal, you don't have to be BHP to actually go well in those commodities uh, type of things. So there are, you know, and the fact that the other thing I should say, Rob, about EMR Capital and the focus is that, is that given Jason, Owen, Tony, and a lot of our, our boys and girls here have actually spent a lot of time in the Asian area. Spent a lot of time in China, spent a lot of time in Asia, India, Indonesia, Japan, uh, Taiwan, Korea, and so on. Oodles of time, obviously, out in everywhere else in the, in the world. But the, the really the, the engine room of growth over the past 25, 30, 40 years has been that Asian uh, area. And we've got a terrific understanding of all that. Yeah. And so we think that gives us a competitive advantage. The, the other thing uh, about that is we also think that the the buyers for our the buyers for our projects and operations once we've done our work there gonna more likely come from that area yeah. you know because they must have long-term access to supply of those commodities yeah. they must have it uh, because they are short all of those things that I mentioned uh, before therefore they need to have access to it and we think that the you know, they certainly show up at the at the auction, so to speak, even if they don't buy. Uh, but we think good com good competition is going to come out of that uh, Asian area for our projects and assets and operations. Yeah, you mentioned obviously want to talk about obviously unique about uh, EMR. You mentioned obviously being on the ground. What other unique things would you say you have as in what you do as a company? Yes. Well, look, I think the uh, being on the ground, putting people in. In other words, we've been in the we've been in the business for for long enough to know, you know, where where the good where the good people are, where the skilled people are, where the experienced people are. We're at the CEO level, CFO level, general manager operations, COO level, all of those sorts of things. And and it's never one size fits all. Uh, whether that be in Australia, whether it be underground, whether it be open pit, whether it be copper, whether it be gold, various processing technologies and so on and so forth. Some areas require more uh, ESG, environmental and social management than others. So, uh, and again, whether it's in, in Africa or other parts of Asia or North or South America, it's very much horses for courses. But we think that we've got very good access to very good people and, and good capability in, in all of those areas. In other words, we know where they all are, or we know where somebody will be who knows somebody that, that, that we'll, we'll be able to find type of thing. And, yeah. and I think we're also lucky to have that good experience back in Rio Tinto, good experience in the Ox, good experience in EMR and the projects that we have, that we've got a, a, a good reputation in respect of people coming to join us. Yeah. So, you know, that's a that's key, obviously, to, to people coming in, that they yeah. know who we are, what they do, they, they may have worked for us before type of thing, or they, they know of us. So it's very important to have that. So I think that, that probably that networking 
uh, and the sort of the, the knowledge uh, that we have and the experience that we've had with all of those countries and people and different types of mining operations really is a you know is a key success factor or a, or a you know good core competency I think they call it yeah. uh, so you know that's I think a distinguishing feature too yeah and I suppose understanding risk as well because if if those guys have been in those countries where you're operating got those relationships understand the markets then the risk profile will be i would imagine be lower so hope that again that will help hopefully make that successful operation more successful by understanding those risks well definitely in terms of actually protecting the downside if you like and and uh and managing those risks so again whether those risks be sort of environmental management or social management or working with the local communities uh, or, or whether it be pure sort of uh, economic type risk, technical risk, um, so 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 important, you know. And and people talk about uh, you know social license and and attaining and retaining and sustaining it. I mean, nothing more important, obviously, than being able to get along with those people in the valley. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's their valley, and you're you're only a guest in a way. So so you need to be able to you know work with them and, and gender. Uh, trust and, and build the relationship and build confidence uh, so that you know you can actually meet their expectations uh, as well as your own develop a win-win style relationship and situation with them and yeah. and their expectations and and so on are changing all of the time you know yeah. as you as you build the business and and as their sort of standards of living and and uh, and so on grow uh, and their aspirations grow, so you you must move with those aspirations and changes too. Yeah, certainly. And I think CSR is becoming, or it's, it seems to be coming at the forefront of of the mining industry and the news. Um, maybe because certain things have happened out in the market, um, mm. and it, there seems to be an emphasis on CSR and making companies more responsible than probably they have been. Even though there are companies out there that is probably one of their number one priorities. Some companies, it may not necessarily be, but I think it's always at the forefront of of mining at the moment. And yep. It seems to be over the last year or two. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it is so important. And it comes with the simple recognition uh, that you are nobody and, and you are nothing in any sustainable way without the support, the cooperation uh, and the relationships there with the nearby communities. Mm. And then surrounding that, of course, you've got the nearby uh, regional groups and then you've got the governments and so on and so forth but the core relationship and trust that you must develop uh, is with those people who live and are directly affected in a major way I mean you're changing some of these people's lives forever mm. in, in a way that we could never understand yeah. you know we're just getting on with what we would describe as business as usual mm. you know uh, whereas you're making very significant changes to these people's lives type of thing mm. and so therefore very important to actually be on the same page yeah yeah certainly I just want to talk about some of the projects that you're involved in and operations um, if you can explain and maybe a couple of them obviously got you know, involved in nine operations um, what are some of the ones that are probably more challenging would you say than others Yes, well, that's uh, a very, very good question. One of the things that does become more challenging or has become more challenging in my you know, 40 plus years experience in the business, uh, the one thing that has become more challenging is the whole sort of permitting approvals and licenses process. 
whether it's the whether it's the environmental and social impact assessment up front, whether it's the mining license itself per se, uh, whether it's the licensing for the, uh, the the technical management of the of the uh, of the group and the company and the impact and so on, whether it's water or wind or soil uh, or impact on the communities, the whole river system and the ecology and the flora and the fauna and so on and so forth. It, it actually takes longer. Uh, and, and because people are more and more sensitive to that, right? that's, that's exactly, and standards are higher, rules and regulations are, are more. And, and I'm not saying it, it, it shouldn't be like that. I mean, we're, we're, at the end of the day, we, we have to go with what the rules and regulations say. And we also, we generally speaking have a say in, in how they're going to go but but at the end of the day the government as i say the local governments and then the communities ultimately are in charge so yeah. you've got to you've got to do what they uh, they want to do that you've got to work to their expectations uh, and aspirations but it is it is becoming standards are getting higher and things are taking longer so that is a there's no question that that is a challenge and and will be a challenge going out there so so people will therefore be looking for more stable regular time after time type jurisdictions uh, but you know the ore bodies are also out in places where they don't have the experience the background the time after time experiences right yeah. so you've got to go out there too and that and that that quite often takes longer too because yeah. they don't have the experience in 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 actually granting permits and granting licenses and granting approvals so that's an educational thing for them as well Exactly. So they will just simply take longer. We've been in, in oodles of those situations where you're saying, well, why is it taking so long? Well, it's taking a long time because they because they just don't do too many of them, you mm. know. Um, and a big and, learning curve for them. Yeah, well, exactly. So you've got to got to ensure that, I mean, they have to be doing their work well. They are responsible mm. uh, bureaucrats and, and politicians and so on. So they've got to get their work done well. Mm. So it can be a bit... It can be a bit frustrating as a sort of an investor and a, and a builder and an operator, uh, but it is it is something that uh, is uh, you know taking our attention. But you do have to go. Yes, you might prefer the standard operating procedure, business as usual jurisdictions, but at the same time you're going to have to go out to where they have less experience type of thing. And we've done that yeah. plenty plenty of places. Yeah, out of all the operations that you've got, what what's the most successful and what I suppose what are you most pleased with? Yes. Okay. Well, look, I think that um, the, the two or three, two or three things there, right? I mean, all of all of the things that we're doing, as far as we're concerned, as you would expect me to say, are all going very well. Yeah. They're great assets and great people, and we're building great value for everybody, right? We're doing that. So we're not we're not any regrets in terms of you know the assets themselves. I mean, issues come from time to time, whether it's a greater water inflow in the Labambi copper mine in Zambia, yeah. or whether it's a greater time taken to get certain permits and so on in, in just outside of Pamplona in Spain. You've got, you got all of those particular things. But look, some of the most, um, uh, some of the most satisfying or gratifying uh, or success stories that, that we can talk to you about are uh, one, for example, up at the Matabi uh, gold mine in Indonesia, up in North Sumatra, uh, where we were able to do, uh, we were able to make very significant improvement in a very short period of time because we took the handbrake off uh, drilling expenditure, we took the handbrake off uh, capital expenditure, and we were able to double production, we were able to double reserves and double resources uh, and, and effectively double the earnings of, 
of the mind, so we're able to do all that. But at the same time, we're, we're able to make a significant impact in terms of the of the social license and the uh, and and the way in which the communities nearby the mine uh, were were supportive uh, and were confident in in the mine uh, and had a great building of trust and so on. And 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 this is a this is a mine in uh, up in North Sumatra, and and there were several hundred thousand within a kilometre or two, if you like, of the particular area. So you weren't weren't in the middle of the Atacama Desert here. Uh, you were in a in, in an area where there's quite a quite a population. Uh, so you had to make sure that you worked very hard uh, on all of those things on a day to day basis. Yeah. Our biggest department was the whole community relations department working with the nearby. Uh, people and that was very satisfying because it is one of the best, in my view, uh, social licenses, the best sustainability report that you'll ever see. I think, in my experience, uh, in Rio Tinto and the Ox and elsewhere, uh, is that Matabi mine. We yeah. sold the mine at the end of last year to a very large Indonesian uh, group called Pama. Uh, and and the and it's going continues to go very very well. So that was satisfying. Yeah. Look, the other thing that we did uh, get involved in, or we did buy here in Australia, over in Western Australia, a mine called Golden Grove, which is a polymetallic mine, underground mine, copper, gold, lead, zinc, uh, silver. So a polymetallic mine. Uh, been going for some time. We were very familiar with the mine from the past. Uh, the the owner, the vendor that we bought it from, his uh, attention was elsewhere. He made a big acquisition. He had to put all his money, all his people, and he, all his tender loving care in another direction. So therefore, things were sort of um, uh, right, an opportunity at the right time. Perfect opportunity for us to go in to make those improvements. Yeah. And, and look, uh, and the people were actually very grateful for that, of course, you know, uh, in terms of actually, we were going to apply the capital to some of the projects that they'd been working on. We were going to, uh, you know, do further development uh, underground. We, we were going to put more work into all the various areas that, that in a way had been, neglected is not the right word, but, but you know, they had to be sort of capital and frugal and sparing uh, in the way in which they'd gone around their work over the last five years. So it was a perfect opportunity for us. Well, the results have just been sensational, really. I mean, the the yes, the numbers are very good. We've got the volumes up and the, the, the unit cost down uh, and all those things. And we've done a lot of drilling and found a lot more ore. We've increased the life. And we're going to have another mine, a, a third mine there. So we've got two openings already and, and now looking at a, at a third. So all those all those, uh, those facts and uh, and plans are all good O. But really one of the most satisfying things is that the people, people pretty much the same, yeah. you know, and yet their productivity has just leapt out of the ground. You know, you, the morale uh, improved, I think, you know, dramatically simply by showing up in a way, you know, that, that somebody was going to come in and do all of those things or say they're going to do all those things. We delivered and I can tell you they delivered. I mean, just sensational performance. Uh, that's going on. So that, that's very satisfying too, you yeah. know, that yes, you can apply your capital and you can apply your plans and, and do this and do the drilling and so on and so forth. That's one thing. But it's another thing to see the bright, happy, smiling faces of the people and not change work. And not change that culture by new management coming in and coming with all different rules, different rules, different way that you want to do things, coming in and actually them just carrying on their normal job but actually probably aspiring and doing things differently which obviously improves, improves the results. 
Absolutely. So they weren't walking, you know, they, they, they were all down in the dumps when we were yeah. over there. You were walking around long faces and so on and so forth, in a way. I mean, a bit of an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. That yeah. was the general sort of attitude on site. So we were able to lift that, and, and the, the result was spectacular. So it saved people, mm. right? I mean, they, and they're just, uh, it's just terrific. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've done a sensational job. Yeah. How do you analyse a project? So what are the fundamentals, fundamentals that you... Look at is there a core set of fundamentals or things that you look at on a project, whether you move forward with it, whether you reject it. Have you got a set criteria that you that you use? Well, yes, we do. We have we have uh, what we call sort of rules of eight, if you like, uh, and and the rule of eight in looking at a at a particular project, for example, uh, it must have the tons. In other words, it must have the scale, and yeah. it's got to be reasonable scale. Uh, it must have the grade. In other words, it's got to have a good sort of quality about it in terms of of, of grade. Uh, it must have conventional process, so we don't want to be reinventing the wheel here in terms of processing it, whether that's the mining, underground mining, uh, open pit mining, um, and the processing in terms of mining, crushing, grinding, uh, flotation, and so on and so forth. So standard operating procedure uh, for processing. It must have low cost, long life, lots of upside. Yeah. So must have all of those things. And if you get the first three things right, you'll, you'll generally get low cost. Long life, you need to have long life, particularly for the next owner, because yeah. we are, in the end, we need to sell those projects. So you always have an exit plan. You've got to have yeah. an exit plan. Uh, and, and lots of upside in terms of not only in and around the existing ore bodies, but nearby and so on. Number seven is it must be a stable and secure regime. In other words, the, the overall... Uh, governance regime, if you like, in terms of whether it's the national government, regional government, local government and communities, that you are able to work within that area. So good, stable and secure domain from that perspective. I mean, you've got to, obviously, the safety and security of your people are the most important thing that you, you do, uh, and therefore you, you must have that. And number eight is that it's got to be, uh, as we say, eminently exitable. In other words, you've got to have an exit plan that you can execute on, uh, so to speak. So yeah. you want to make that operation more attractive to the next guy. Yeah. Would you look at an operation where the previous owners, not say necessarily done, done anything wrong, but the relationships may have broken down. So then, although the infrastructure may be there, the location may be there, and all those eight points that you mentioned, if if they've had a breakdown in relations with local government, if it's in another country, obviously the, the government, local people, community, would you still look at that? Yes, we would, for sure, because as you say, if the, if the winder's broken or there's not enough trucks or it needs some drilling, we can do that. Yeah. Most people can. Yeah. But but where, you, where you've lost a relationship, in some cases with your workforce, where you've mm. lost a relationship with the nearby communities because they are related, yeah. or whether you've lost a relationship with the governments, we would always look at that because we'd back out, we back ourselves to see that as the... As a, as a primary core strength of ours to be able to, to at right. least understand it, recognise it, recognise how important it is, understand it, and then get on and, and, and improve things, whether that's repair and improve, simply improve and stuff. So always open to do that. Sometimes it, it's hard to work out, you know, the inner feelings of, 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 of some of these relationship breakdowns. You know, it's hard to get to the bottom of them. Uh, but we would always, you know, given the experience we've had around the place with all of these things, we we would always look at it, Rob. Yeah, yeah. I want to slowly wrap this up. What's the future for EMR? 
Okay. Well, look, um, I see a bright and rosy future in the crystal ball here that we've got between us, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also see, I mean, very importantly, we see still good, strong demand out there for all of our commodities. Yeah. Multiple decades of good, strong commodity demand growth. Continue to be led by China, followed by India, Indonesia, the rest of Asia, and in fact, the rest of the developing world. All, all looking to get on that uh, super highway of economic growth and sustainable prosperity. That's what they all want to do. The wonderful thing about the that the internet and all of that massive revolution in communications has provided us is with people. People know and understand what's going on around the world, more or less, you know. Hopefully via this podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they want some too, yeah. you know. So they see what's happening. So so they want to be able to aspire and, and, and get on uh, all of that. Doesn't mean that you won't have a few humps and bumps and so on along the way here. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing a bit of a bump now with the, uh, the US. China Trade and Tech War Initiative. Yeah. Uh, we did see one a few years back in terms of the GFC, uh, and, and you see a few security uh, and safety blips along the way there, type of thing. So, so bound to be humps and bumps, you know, along the way here. Uh, but to us, the direction and the force is perfectly clear in terms of commodities, long strong demand. Yeah. No worries. Supply is is going to be a challenge, yeah. and and that's where we come in. So we think that there's good, strong demand out there. We're supply side people, so we think therefore the opportunities for us are going to continue to be very good. Uh, and therefore, in answer to your question, we see that the opportunities for EMR Capital to keep doing what we're doing very very strong indeed. So yeah. so we'll we'll be we'll be doing it for some time to come yet, Rob, for yeah. sure. That's good to hear. And what would you say the future of the mining industry is? Well, look, the future of the mining industry is forever. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, as I say, a few humps and bumps and changes and improvements and comings and goings, of course, from time to time, mainly in a northerly direction in terms of, you know, improving standards, improving technologies uh, and technical capability and, and so on and so forth. So plenty of future there. The, the great thing is uh, the the Australian Australian industry is really now cemented into that into that future. I mean, the great operations of the world, many of them are here in Australia. Operating practices, people and so on. But it's also the whole mining equipment, technology services, the METs, you know, all of the advisors and consultants and service companies and contractors that sort of hang off that and and totally integrated with the actual mining and minerals processing. So big industry and it's a, it's proliferated now not only in Australia but all around the world yeah. I mean it doesn't matter whether you go to the Anacama Desert or the rainforest of North Sumatra uh, you know you will find an Aussie geologist and an Aussie mining engineer and an Aussie metallurgist sounds like an introduction yeah. to a joke doesn't <laughs> yeah. it it's a way for the ending <laughs> <laughs> but they will be out there you know so we've yeah. actually you know so the, the industry now is just, just terrific and, and you know I love it to death you know uh, that it's able but continuously improvement in all of those things are you know terribly important I mean again we're supply side people we have to supply the commodities for that bourgeoning demand yeah and obviously just being at the conference over the last two days the technologies and I suppose each year technology is just so so advanced and, and every year it's going to keep changing and getting better and, and obviously te- as technology grows hopefully more efficiencies will come of that um, and just seeing like some of the big drones that they've got there 
Um, could you imagine 40 years ago about having drones flying around the place and taking pictures and doing God knows what else? Well, exactly. <laughs> no, we've, we've definitely come from the Stone Age to the Drone Age, yeah. you know, and they are making remarkable improvements, you know. And mm. the, whole, the whole solar, uh, you know, energy business, yeah. energy efficiency, uh, you know, drone technology, artificial intelligence, digitalization, big data, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, automation and robotics mm. and so on. We're using all of that technology and, and there's no, no end to it, yeah. you know. And you're able to use scale, you're able to get deeper underground, you're able to get online analysis and so on and so forth. So that that means you are going to become more and more efficient. You are going to drive down the you know the competitive cost of producing goods and services for goods for the uh, you know for that for that strong demand that's growing on a daily basis. Rob. Yeah. Well, really appreciate your time, Owen, for, for doing this podcast. If um, our, our audience wants to reach out to you and ask you any questions, how can they go about doing that? Well, at any time whatsoever, available to uh, answer any questions, Owen Hegarty at emrcapital.com will find me yeah. all day long. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're here in uh, Melbourne, we're, we're in Hong Kong, uh, and we, 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 we fly around the world to all the various operations that we've got in various places. Yeah. So, look, the more more support we can get for the industry the better yeah and then on any social media platforms do you, do you use anything well e yes emr capital has a social media yeah. platform on the website yeah okay alternatively if you want to contact myself and i can pass messages on to owen you can uh, message me at rob at mining-international.org well that's it for another podcast i hope you uh, enjoy listening i certainly did i've certainly learned a lot um, and obviously Owen's experience of 40 years um, was obviously brought out there and so I've learned a lot and hopefully you have. So until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.